Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, we're talking to Kate Needham-Bennett. She's with Fusion Risk Management, and she covers the Europe, Middle Eastern, Africa, head of financial services, go to market. And today we're going to be talking about how to make your supply chain resilient. But before we get started, I want to share a few resilience resources and reminders. The Disaster Recovery Journal hosts webinars every Wednesday, and the upcoming topics can be found on their website. You can register at the link in our show notes. And as follows news, you can download our five-step crisis strategy guide that you can use to navigate any business through any crisis in any industry. That link is also found in our show notes. And if you've enjoyed our podcast, we would be so grateful if you would leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more listeners to find us and it lets us know that you're getting value from our podcast. So let's go ahead and dive right into today's episode and let's welcome Kate Needham-Bennett to the podcast. Hi, Kate. Hi there. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. It's good to have you. (laughs) So uh, just from a geography perspective, what part of the world are you calling in from today? So we're based in London, um, but we work with clients all over the world. So we could be anywhere um, talking to any client at any time. Love it. Love it. I spent some time in London, um, maybe like 10 or 12, 12 years ago with another company. So Love the city. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> it is indeed. And it's, it's starting to look a lot better now that we're all able to get out a bit and see each other again. Uh, the city is starting to come back to life. I love that. So with that in mind, I mean, I'm intrigued by your background and specifically by, by your title here with um, Fusion. Can you tell our listeners more about you and specifically how you got into this space? Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm intrigued by my title as well, um, trying to figure out exactly where I sit and what my role is. But I think it's very much like an an overlay role or an advisory role, um, helping our clients to get the best out of the product and the platform and helping to really educate um, and share ideas across the industry and collaborate um, with or between clients to make sure that everyone is doing best practice and sharing best ideas. Um, but I came to it a little bit by accident, a little bit like everyone in the sector, I think, does. Um, so I started out at Needham's 1834, which is a specialist consultancy. Um, but I was on the business manager side. So I was sort of responsible for everything that wasn't the actual consulting. Um, so learned a huge amount of things like you know, how to create a web- website or um, how to file US tax returns and things like that. Um, and really Google was my friend. So I became very used to learning how to adapt, how to be very agile and suddenly realized one day that I'd become a bit of a jack of all trades and master of none um, and decided that I really wanted to specialize in something. Um, I like to feel like I know what I'm talking about as opposed to purely guessing or asking Google. So I looked to go and work for a global company um, and ended up at MasterCard. I was really fortunate to work with their resilience team and see that sort of round the sun model um, working in practice um, and worked on their resilience and their BC side. 
then decided to try something a little bit different and moved to Post Brothers, which is quite a small merchant bank in the UK. Um, but they have some really interesting and diverse um, products and schemes that they run. Um, and decided to start, start there by working on their crisis management program um, and then switched over to Opres um, and followed that through the boards earlier this year. Um, and then decided that I wanted a new challenge because why not? Um, after that year um, and looked at how we can really progress the technology and the software behind it um, and really help everyone to try and um, you know bring together all of that data all of that information and really make it useful um, when responding. I love that I love that so I'm hearing financial services is definitely obviously you are um, coming from a global perspective which actually leads me to my question so um, I was talking to a retail company a couple of days ago, and he said, there's two big challenges I'm having. One is people and one is supply chain. And so I'm curious, especially with your, your footprint in Europe, Middle Eastern Africa, what are you seeing as the greatest concerns within uh, supply chain management today? It's actually been a very prime time to look at how people are doing supply chain management. Um, and the regulators really start to take an interest in it with the operas, third party policies. Um, and we've seen the, the questions that we've been asking maybe aren't going deep enough or aren't getting the quality of information that we've really wanted. Um, so in, in recent years, I think we've started to dig deeper. We've started to look at what level of assurance we find acceptable from other firms um, and really tried to get answers that are very clear and very honest. So that third party sort of due diligence is an area that I think has been worked on really hard in the past year but it's going to become under a lot more scrutiny going forward, um, particularly when we look at fourth parties. Um, so in certain industries, and I've obviously got the financial sector background, but we seem to rely on quite a few key firms to provide services to any given sector. Um, you know, you can look at things, I know they're used as a prime example, but the cloud providers like AWS and Microsoft Azure, you know, if one of them goes down, we're um, really struggling as a whole industry or whole sector to respond. Um, so I think looking for those concentration risks, looking at how we might fail over um, from them really needs a lot of scrutiny. Um, so we had quite a, a key example last year during the COVID um, break, outbreaks. And you saw companies look at what their business continuity or their contingencies were for their supply chain and realize that a lot of them were in the same region. So you would fail over from one company to another in the same country. And that just simply wasn't possible. And so suddenly we had to look at a very global perspective and how can we ensure that we're not having that concentration risk geographically as well as you know, against other firms. Um, you know, if you're a very small bank, you're not going to come very high up in the pecking order when you have to fail over and you're going up against the, the bigger ones. Um, so there's that aspect. And then lastly, I think there's the transparency. Like you, you mentioned earlier, the, the information that's being shared across the sector. Um, and I think we could be a bit more transparent with each other, um, especially those that we're relying on and those that are relying on us. Um, I don't know about anyone else listening to this, but I'm not sure about the last time that I heard from a third party in their due diligence response that didn't say that they hadn't just passed their DR test or their crisis management exercise. Um, I may be a little bit cynical, but I just don't believe that everyone is that invincible. So I'd, I'd really like to see a little bit more information shared with a little bit more honesty. Yeah, so I, I heard 
one component of how are we actually managing supply chain management? Like, what does that mean for your organization? I heard third, third and fourth party uh, providers, right? And then I heard transparency, which I, you know, which I think when you think of just our supply chain in general, I don't think it's transparent at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. There are there are ducks and turns everywhere that you look. Yeah. So there's a great uh, white paper called I Pencil, and mm -hmm. it's a great story of the fact that no one actually knows how to make a pencil. And when you get into the details of how to make a pencil, where the raw materials come from, how it's manufactured, the machines that are needed to create the pencil, I was like, wow, you're right. No idea how to how to make a pencil, but I use use one every day. <laughs> it's even broken down. So you have different aspects that you're bringing in from each part. And it's not just one company that does it all. Um, and that to me is so intrinsic to sharing that information, sharing that honesty, you know, identifying and working together as to where that breakdown could occur. Absolutely. So um, with the 2020 supply chain crisis as a result of COVID, uh, and then the 2021 Suez Canal obstruction, we've witnessed unprecedented crises in a very short amount of time. Um, what do you think resilience professionals need to take away from these events that have occurred over the past two years? I think they need to take away that this is the time to take action, really. Um, you've been given some perfect examples there of compounding scenarios. Um, where you're reacting to one crisis of supply chain nature um, whilst trying to deal with another with your other hand. And it's it's really a perfect time to take it to your CMTs, to take it to your exact teams and explain that we need to be looking at those more severe scenarios. We need to be looking at the compounding ones and not just trying to deal with crises in isolation um, and really come together and look at how you can um, leverage different um, firms in the industry, different providers, partners, um, and come up with a collaborative response to them. Um, at the moment, we've seen that the regulators are asking us to exercise against more severe scenarios. And these are prime ones to use as examples. Um, so you can look back at them and you can say, okay, if that had gone on for longer, um, what would we do? You know, how do we exercise to the point of breaking? Um, but any crisis that happens today, you're working against the backdrop of rising COVID cases of physical war in Europe and daily cyber attacks, you know, the great resignation. You, you've got four um, key areas there, all impacting all of your resources, and you're dealing with a crisis of some sort on top of that. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Fusion Risk Management is your North Star for operational resilience. The Fusion Framework System provides a foundation that enables you to understand how your business works, how it breaks, and how to put it back together again, which allows you to make data-driven decisions so you can anticipate, prepare, respond, and learn through business disruptions and major crisis events. Head to the link in our show notes to request a demo today. Fusion Risk Management, building a more resilient world together. Yeah, I can totally see that. And one thing I appreciate from this conversation today is your lens from a financial services perspective. Sometimes when I speak to colleagues in the fintech world, um, they may not see their role or uh, how they, they play a part in the overall supply chain things that are happening. Um, and so I can appreciate the perspective that you're providing and really you know, what you're hearing, not only from your clients, but also what you're seeing from a global pr perspective as it relates to financial services. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's all so interconnected. You can't separate one part of the industry or one part of the market from another. Um, so, if, you know, something happens, say, um, like the Ukraine crisis we were hearing um, the other day, like the price of nickel just soared through the roof. Um, and you can't necessarily predict those reactions. And then exchanges have to stop. And then you have the knock-on impact to other areas of the financial sector and trading and investing. And so you've just got that continual impact across. So with that in mind, the potential risks to a supply chain is literally every risk under the sun. I mean, it's hurricane, it's Suez Canal, it's pandemic, (laughs) all the things. Um, What are the specific risks that you are seeing from a supply chain perspective this year? It's quite um, fundamental, quite human level first. So in the very near future, I think, and you see it in the newspapers every day, like the cost of living aspects. So be that the rising cost of fuel, um, partly due to our lack of self-sustainability, obviously gas and electricity impacting then the cost of all the other services that we just take for granted um, in, in the sort of modern world. Um, we can look at where our food comes from and it being affected by political disruptions. You've got wars in Ukraine, you've got border blockades like we saw during Brexit, you've also got the uh, consequences of climate change and rising inflation rates. And all of that has that knock on effect um, to daily life, which then knocks on to businesses. Um, And all of those factors pose risks, but they also increase the chances that people will face very desperate scenarios. And that causes people to act out and you'll end up with high elements of civil unrest, which then causes in turn other crises. Um, I think secondly, or sort of at a broader term, I suppose, I'm I'm looking at the reliance on technology and how sustainable that is going to be. Um, You know, we've seen everyone racing for laptops um, at the start of COVID. We've seen the motor market um, really struggling with the lack of semiconductors um, in the world. And that can be hit by, you know, cost of shipping due to the fuel that we mentioned earlier, or lack of a skilled workforce due to people being off ill. Um, But it has that knock on impact then um, on everyone else, their ability to get to work, to drive their car, to buy a car, to get to the work and then use a laptop or a tablet or webcams, etc. And we rely on all of that to be able to do our jobs. So when we're horizon scanning and we're looking at the technology that we're using, I think there's a very long term view that we need to take um, and plan for. So, you know, what do we do when we encounter droughts or fresh water shortages? You know, how will we maintain data centers or anything else that relies on cold water cooling systems? If we heavily rely on cryptocurrency, how does that then balance with our ESG responsibilities? Um, And if we move to renewable energies, which I highly support, how do we do that when the infrastructure isn't yet in place? We can't facilitate it. Um, You know, we can't actually transport or dig out enough cobalt, lithium, rare earths, etc., to be able to support the uh, renewable energy structure we'd like in place. So I think that th- those are the two big things that I'm seeing on both near-term and far-term horizons. I love that. And so you mentioned that there's a reliance on technology. With that in mind, um, how can Fusion software help to manage the potential risks to the supply chain? So I can't solve the uh, ESG crisis, I'm afraid, or the uh, climate change, but we can help you to prepare a little bit um, and help you to at least understand where your gaps are. Um, So I think there's probably four um, key steps or stages that you might want to go through um, that our software can help with. So 
um, you can map the dependencies, you know, get that information and get all the data in around your critical services or your important services and actively search for where your vulnerabilities are. You know, look for the concentration risk and then remediate them quickly. When we try to educate firms on um, searching out for the vulnerabilities, it's very difficult to get out of that mindset of wanting to show senior management, no, we're green, we're green everywhere. It's like, no, I want you to be red at this point. I want you to show me all of your vulnerabilities. And then you need to have, make sure that you have those exit plans in place. So sort of step two. Um, and to date, we've, we've done them, but they're in quite an unstressed manner. I know there is now regulation, certainly in the financial sector, to ensure that you have to plan for stress exits too. But I think that, that can broaden out a little. Um, and just check that you can actually fail over very quickly. You can exit at a moment's notice. Um, you, know, you only have to look to the recent events in Russia with a lot of firms trying to pull out very quickly as to just how feasible that is. Um, and then once you've done all of that, you can look at your scenario testing. And you know, thank goodness for the regulations in the UK, it's really empowered our teams to challenge those CMTs um, to look at where their supply chains are, how quickly they can fail over, you know, what you do if you have multiple critical third parties taken offline at once. Um, and then once you've done that scenario test, you look at your lessons learned and you really follow them through to completion. I mean, the number of times that you see a post-exercise report or a post-incident report um, sitting on the shelf, not looked at until the month before the next annual exercise, you know, those have all got to be remediated or you're living with the risk. And so I think, yeah, really look at those lessons learned. If you bring it back to a very sort of personal level, you know, how often have you found a lesson that you've learned in life and then you've repeated the same mistake again because you didn't put a control in place or you didn't stop um, and challenge yourself? It's exactly the same. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is what are we willing to change to get a different outcome? So I, I, I think your your uh, point helps to really drive drive that home. So where can our listeners uh, go to learn more about you? <laughs> um, so they can find me on LinkedIn um, or find me on um, the Fusion Risk Management website, which is at fusionrm.com. Um, and we've got all sorts of um, information on there. It's really useful. It'll talk you through all the sort of analytics, dashboards, reports that we can help you to facilitate. Um, it can show you all of the different other multiple platforms that we can connect with, um, be that, you know, Everbridge, Workday, BeWise, or any of the other APIs through MuleSoft. Um, so, yeah, we, we can show you exactly what we mean by the sort of big data bucket or data repository um, that we can then use to help you make sure that you're looking through that single pane of glass um, and which other softwares we can layer on top. So we can layer things like N24 or Unified Compliance Frameworks, and we can show you what the physical impacts might be um, coming your way or what the regulatory impacts might be. Um, so yeah, you can get all of the information on there um, and see exactly what might work for your, your company. Um, and obviously you can call us up at any time and we'd be happy for a chat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Aspalis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.